Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Extreme words of measurement, depth of the riches of both the knowledge, the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable. That's the word transcendent. How unsearchable. He is so big. He is so great. He is so above everything. Are his judgments and his ways past finding out. All of those phrases that remind us that God is so great and God is so big. And awe of God is one thing I believe that will keep Bible knowledge from running off its rails and being diverted by the agendas that so often are in our lives or or even in the modern church today. Now, if you've been a Christian for very long at all, perhaps a few years or more, I'm sure you've heard the tragic story of Joshua Harris. Joshua Harris was a respected Christian author, a pastor, senior pastor for nearly 20 years. And frankly, he was a leading voice for evangelicals. Wrote uh, many best-selling books, several best-selling books. This man, after all of those achievements and all of that knowledge, left his wife, he left his faith, and he left Jesus. He, as some would say, deconverted. A shocking moment for many. And I know that it shook the faith of some. And of course, what happens so often when people get off track and sinful, they begin bragging about what they're doing. Tragic. But when you read his books, you listen to a sermon, although I never listened to one. I did read a couple of his book. The tragic thing is you really can't find any tip-off, any cue that maybe he's going south. In fact, in one of his books about theology, he wrote this, and I quote, Theology matters. Isn't that interesting? Because if we get it wrong, he said, then our whole life would be wrong. Now, I wholeheartedly agree with Joshua Harris on that fact. Theology is absolutely important. But this message is about the transcendence of God. Here's the point. We can get our theology right, but lose God in the midst of that. And I would say about that particular statement, while that is a true statement, I would suggest that it is incomplete. It is incomplete because... Knowing God is more than just knowing about God. Theology, 100% wrong, can still get us off track. If we've lost our view of the transcendence, the greatness, the majesty of God, if we lose our awe and our wonder. And so if we can keep our sense of God's uh, and awe of God, then I believe we will deepen our theology. Number two, it sweetens our worship. I believe it's so important to maintain our awe of God because it will sweeten our worship. I'm convinced that we sing louder 
I am convinced that we read our Bibles with more passion, more intentionally, when we understand how great God is. Friends, our God invites us to have intimate fellowship with Him, and that God is the God who created the universe. That God is the great Creator God, and He says, worship me. Let's spend time together. I don't believe there could be a better example than in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, King David reminded all of us, reminded his nation, just what was going to be needed as he passed the baton of leadership to his son Solomon. And as he did so, he prayed an incredible prayer, which was a tribute to God's transcendence. Look at verse 11. I don't think there's a better verse that would explain what we're talking about. Look at verse 11. Thine, O Lord. In fact, let's just uh, say it together, would you? Let's read it out loud. You can see it on the screens here, on your Bible there. Ready, begin. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Wow. I'm telling you what, you talk about the ultimate doxology. There it is. Imagine if you woke up every day this week, and those of you that are online and those of us here this morning, I just challenge you to do a little bit of homework this week. Get up every day this week and Raise your hands up and read that verse out loud. Or better yet, just get it in your mind and just speak it by memory out loud. I'll tell you one thing. That would change our day if we said, Lord, this is your day and then gave that verse. A view of God's greatness and transcendence deepens our theology. It sweetens our worship but perhaps most importantly, it compels our obedience. Today, the typical church majors on making people feel comfortable. And let me just say up front and quickly, I'm all for that. I mean, if we mean in the sense of making people feel welcome. Everybody should feel welcome, regardless of their background, regardless of what kind of their lifestyle is. They should all feel welcome. And if you're here for the first time, I hope you'll feel that. Those of you that have been for a bit or maybe a hundred times, you know, and we hear so often that they say things like, I'll tell you one thing, the home church is the friendliest church we've ever been to. Praise God. Amen. But with all that being said, let me just say this. We must never forget that a church is not a country club. It is, not, uh, it is not meant to be a restaurant where everybody feels welcome in that sense. In fact, all we need to do is read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts. Read just a few chapters into the book of Acts, that great historical New Testament book, and it's eye-opening. You talk about reverence and power, even shock and awe in their local church. You may recall in Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 5, Peter was there and there came a couple, a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They arrived at church that Sunday morning 
offering time came around and they were struck dead on the spot right there. I'm telling you, you talk about an uncomfortable church service right at about that moment. Now, of all things, of all things, that uncomfortableness created such a, well, the seeds of revival in the early church. Now, folks, granted, I will say, their sin was gross blasphemy, and I trust uh, you and I aren't guilty of that today. But I will say this, a solemn view, a shock and an awe of God is a great thing that strengthens our obedience. Obedience is made so much clearer when we just have a little bit of awe of God and his word. Now let me be a loving shepherd here for a moment and caution all of us. Not all so-called Christian books are healthy for you, for your family, for the church. In fact, even some can be downright damaging. One of the most popular books in the evangelical churches over the last couple of decades, a book that has sold tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of copies. There have been all kinds of spin-offs, even songs, children's books, you name it, has been called, and the title of the book is called The Ragamuffin Gospel. The Ragamuffin Gospel has had a serious polluting effect on individual and churches today. Sadly, Christianity today, no surprise there, but Christianity Today called it a spiritual classic. Wow. The author, an inactive Franciscan priest by the name of Manning. This book preaches a false doctrine of antinomian, psychology-influenced gospel. He redefines biblical terms. He pours out half-truths just throughout the book and also, sadly, there is a great dumbing down of the awe and a, a transcendence of God. Let me give you one example, lest you think I'm just kind of picking on somebody. Here is his idea of salvation. On page 196, here's what he says. Simply relax. This is salvation. Simply relax in the presence of the God you have to believe in and ask for a touch of folly. That is the plan of salvation according to this book. Folks, that is not the gospel. Trust me when I say the Bible does not invite sinners to relax in the presence of God and half believe. He commands us to repent and fully believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. Now friends, there needs to be a whole sale restoration in the evangelical church of a shock and an awe of God. An understanding, yes, God, we ought to feel comfortable in his presence. And he reaches out his hand to us in mercy and love and grace. But at the same time, we need to understand the greatness of our God. And so I believe it just is a great thing for our worship, for our theology, and certainly for our obedience. Now let's go to a case study in this matter. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible, certainly in the New Testament. 
It is a book, I think, that it is a chapter that reminds us at the end here of the a powerful, poignant reminder of what happens when we lose our awe of God. This chapter is crucial because it is answering the question, what happens when people reject as a wholesale group the kingdom of God? Israel was being rejected by God. Today, in is you go to Israel, very few born-again believers. And yet this is the birthplace of the Bible. This is the birthplace of our Savior. What happened? They rejected the kingdom of God. As a result, the Bible uh, gospel really went to the gospel to the Gentile world. Matthew 13 in eight different parables explains that. Then he comes to the end. Here's the just a biographical sketch. Christ is back home. He's in his hometown of Nazareth. He is a young man that went out and came back. There's some little notoriety around him, but not a lot. He gets the opportunity to speak, permission to speak in the synagogue there, basically the church. And there as a pastor slash rabbi, he stands up and he delivers an epic message. It melts the crowd. They are astounded. And so let's pick it up in verse 54. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? His ability to interpret the Old Testament and apply it to their lives and to bring it to a conclusion was absolutely phenomenal. They were sitting there spellbound. And the reason was because they didn't really get him. They didn't ever really give him any attention. They didn't esteem who he was. And they clarified. Look at verse 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Now they weren't slighting good, honest, hardworking, blue collar workers. But they were just saying he wasn't educated at Gamaliel's feet or some great rabbi. Is not his mother called Mary? He'd say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, it was just a very common name. So they were just saying, hey, isn't his mom just plain Mary? I mean, wow, this is amazing. And his brethren, of course, these are his half-brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. So he had four brothers, honest guys, but nothing real notable, especially. Verse 56, and his sisters. Jesus had at least four brothers. Uh, he had at least two sisters, it says here. Are they not with us? Pretty good-sized family, by the way, uh, seven children uh, in the family. But um, whence then hath this man all these things? said, look, he's just an average guy, average mom, average dad. We don't see anything special. And look at verse 57. And this, I must admit, as I read this over and over again, I just thought, how sad. They were offended, sitting in church, offended. Eh, let me just tell you something. If you are offended right now, for some reason, that's not a good thing. They were offended at the preaching, the clear preaching of the Word of God. Offended in church at the preaching of truth. Sad, tragic. 
Not a good thing. But Jesus, so Jesus, not being one to back down, he just went ahead and spoke up. He said unto them, a prophet is not without honor. The first thing he said is, hey, you need to have more respect for the man of God. When that man is preaching the word of God, he is speaking for God, respecting. Then he said, save in his own country and his own house. He said, you should have respected him because he's a man of God. And second of all, you know me. That should have added weight to what I say. He said, I'm in your own country. You certainly been able to watch my life and watch my family's life. You get it. He said, how disrespectful of you to be this way. So he just laid it on the line. He didn't pull any bunches with him. And then the kicker. Here's the sad verse. And he did not many mighty works there. Because he lost his power, because he was angry? No. Because of their unbelief. Don't put that on God. Don't put that on Jesus. Don't put the fact that my life has, is powerless. Don't put the fact that we don't have miracles on God. God said, it is your unbelief. How tragic. These people saw Jesus, but he was little J Jesus to them. Not Jesus, capital J Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I wonder if that could describe you this morning or me. Now more than ever, we have access to incredible knowledge, even religious knowledge and theology. But I wonder if with all of our ability to Google, we've lost our awe of the God of Google. That somehow we've lost the sense that he is a transcendent God. God is in danger of becoming commonplace. In Isaiah chapter 57, the Christ prophet, Isaiah, stated, <laughs> you are not going to believe what God is about ready to do. Or as our friend Brother Hayden used to say, God is fixing to do something. <laughs> He's fixing. Verse 15 of that chapter. For thus saith the high and lofty, there's that phrase again, transcendent one, that inhabit eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Isaiah said, people, God is bigger. He is above every problem, every circumstance that our nation is facing, that we are facing. Everybody today is all worried. Everybody's all, you know, concerned about this and concerned about that. Folks, God is so much bigger than everything and anything. We have a transcendent God. If we're going to be afraid of anything, let's be afraid of Jesus. Not in the fear sense, but in the sense of an awe and a deep respect for who he is. Sometimes I hear people say things, you say, how are you doing? Well, pretty good under the circumstances. I remember one great man of God once said, what you doing under there? <laughs> That's a good plan right there. What you doing under the circumstances? I believe with a transcendent God, we can get above those. Not that they don't hurt, not that they're not difficult, but that we see above it. In Psalm 113, a powerful psalm, 
unique in that it begins with the word hallelujah and ends with the word hallelujah. And basically everything in between that is what to give hallelujah for. <laughs> Look at verse four. The Lord, why should we say hallelujah to the Lord? Because he is high above all nations. He is glory above the heavens even. Verse five, who is like unto our God who dwelleth on high? Verse six, if he was to behold the things in heaven, he'd have to humble himself and come down. Go ahead, name the most beautiful place on earth. Go ahead, name the most powerful, the most rich, famous person you know. It doesn't even come close to our great God. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's above them all. Elvis Aaron Presley, known simply as Elvis, was in his day above them all. He was called the King of Rock and Roll. He was regarded as one of the most, if not the most significant cultural icon of the 20th century. His first hit, Heartbreak Hotel, became number one, sold millions of singles. His success seemed to just epitomize the American dream. Guinness World Record says that he is the most successful solo artist of all time. Everybody pretty much fell at his feet, politicians and all. And yet tragically, after years of prescription drug abuse, that had severely compromised his health. The king died suddenly in 1977 at his Graceland estate at 42. I say the king died. But in verse five, this verse says, like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth, that is present tense, our king is still dwelling on high. He is reigning. Our God is still alive. An awe of what some artists did, great. But my real law ought to be of the real king. Now, there are three ways this morning I want to leave with you how God is transcendent. Number one, he is above all others in terms of his power. In terms of his power, Isaiah chapter 40. Here, again, that wonderful prophet exclaimed that God is almighty. And compared to him, look at verse 15, all the nations are as a drop in a bucket. <laughs> you ever wonder where that little statement came from? A drop in a bucket? Well, there's where it came from. God says, compared to me, the most powerful nation on earth is a drop in the bucket. Continue on in that same chapter, verse 25. God says, I have no equals. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Lord? I have no equals. I looked on my right, there's none there. On the left, nobody's there. To say that God is transcendent is to say that God has no equals. He's incomparable. He's unrivaled. He is second to none. The prophet goes on to say in chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. Above him, there's no other. Can we contemplate that just for a moment? Our God is above all others, and there is no other God. He is above every government. He is above every world leader. He is above every scientist. God's above them all. The old Christian said, and said it wisely, 
This world cannot even make a blade of grass. And yet God spoke the universe into existence by one infallible word. Think about that for a second. All these scientists, all these modern advances of medicine and all the world, yet to make even one simple little blade of grass. Make a blade of grass then. If you're so smart, if you got it all down, make even one little blade of grass. Never done it yet. And yet God just speaks the word and the forest is created. God says he spoke the word into existence. I love that great triumphant chorus that we sing around here. Our God, a mighty warrior, a consuming fire, we triumph in your name. And I love those last few words. And above you, there is no other. Above you, there is no other. I love to sing that song because as I begin to think about it, that's the triumphant transcendence of God. That is about the awe of God. There are three ways God is transcendent. Number one, he is above all others in terms of his power. Number two, he is above all others in terms of his piety, meaning his holiness. To understand God's transcendence, we have to understand the holiness of God. He is totally separate from us. He is infinitely pure. He is totally devoted. God is omnipresent. And so being omnipresent, he is everywhere. And he therefore is even in hell in the sense of his justice. And yet, even though he's there, he is there without impurity. And my precious wife is such a great homemaker. She takes care of us, and keeps us fed, keeps us clothed, and keeps everything clean, as when I, at least when I let her. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, I'll put my khaki slacks in there. She'll wash it up. And I mean, it won't be but an hour, and I'll have a stain on that already. I can't even go. I don't know what it is. I'm telling you what, this morning, Jesus could wear a white suit into a coal mine and never get a spot on it. He is absolutely spotless. He is pure and above all. If you want a good example of that, turn to Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 20. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. Of all things, Moses and God were having a conversation. <laughs> Think about that for a few moments. But they were talking. Moses said to God, God, I would like to see your glory. And God said basically what the famous movie line is, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Look at verse number 20. He said, thou canst not see my face. Why can't I see your face, God? No man shall see me and live. No man sees God and lives. Why is that? Because he is so holy, he is a consuming fire. We would evaporate. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that Jesus came to earth. God the Son took on human flesh. And we're told that he was like us in every single way but one. And that is that he was without sin. He put on this robe and yet was without sin. Today I'm often uh, saddened by religious groups that try to dress holy. Not that it's wrong to, of course, look moral. 
But some groups, especially it seems like in the Middle East, got to the point where they put like basically a tent over some of these poor little ladies there in an attempt to somehow be holy. Folks, gee, we don't need a tent or whatever to make us holy. It's a heart thing. And Jesus is here reminding us that he transcended all holiness. Even the most holy persons ever lived, Jesus is all holy. He is above all in power. He is above all in piety. And thank God he is above all by means of his prudence. That is his wisdom. In Isaiah chapter 55, the people were struggling. How are we going to get through this as a nation? How are we going to get through this? I'm, we're suffering. We're struggling. We're having financial troubles. There were so much problems going on because of occupation of the enemies. Is it possible that we can even get forgiven for this, and get through this? And so Pastor Isaiah gave them a vision of God's transcendence. Yes, we can get through this. How? Verse 8 of chapter 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Praise God for that. Because when we look at this world and we look at things, we say, oh, this just is terrible. But God said, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. I don't look at things the way you do. My ways, not your ways. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Of course, there's a way through. And of course, there's a savior, the pastor was saying. And of course, your sins can be forgiven because God does things different than man does. He specializes in the impossible because of his power, because of his amazing wisdom. In John chapter 1, Jesus himself in his earthly ministry addressed the subject of the transcendence of God. You may have never seen it, but it was in his discussion with Nathaniel. Nathaniel, that uh, man of deep conviction and character, he said to Nathaniel in chapter 1 and verse 50, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under a fig tree, believest thou? He said, Is that why you're following me? Well, he said, I'm glad that you are, but I'm telling you, you're going to see greater things than that. That was just, as we said a moment ago, that's a drop in the bucket, what I'm about ready to do. Look at verse 51. Here's what I'm about ready to do. This really almost is a mirror of Jacob's ladder in the book of Genesis. Verse 51. And he said unto him, verily, verily. And that's like saying, now listen, listen. Get this, get this. I say unto you, hereafter, you're going to see in the days to come, you're going to see heaven open. You're going to be with me in the next few years and you're going to see things that you can't believe. Heaven itself is going to open up and the angels of God are going to ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. Basically, here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, what you're about to see will transcend anything that you've ever seen or done before. What is about ready to happen is you are going to get a sense and an awe of the transcendence of God. You're going to see heaven come down into people's lives. They're going to be transformed. People who are blind are going to be able to see and the lame are going to walk and the 
sinful are going to be cleansed. You are going to believe what's about ready to happen. Heaven is going to come down. And at the same time, people's lives are going to be transformed. They're going to be connected with God. I'm telling you, I transcend and my truth transcends everything. Heaven itself will be opened up to us. Now, folks, we live in an interesting age. We live in an age where everything has been brought down to a supposedly an information level. Google it. There's an app for that. You name it. We feel like we got God in a box. But I'm afraid we have misjudged this thing. William Patterson Nicholson, W.P. Nicholson, as he's known in history, was a Presbyterian preacher and an evangelist in Ireland in the early 1900s. He was known as the Irish Tornado. W.P. Nicholson used very straightforward language when he communicated with people. In fact, in Belfast, in the shipyard there, they actually made a shed known as the Nicholson Shed. They did that because all the men who were getting saved were getting right with the Lord. They were making restitution. They were bringing back tools that they had stolen. And so the Nicholson Shed was there to house all the tools. Here is what W.P. Nicholson said about this matter of the awe of God. He said, today's society spells God with a small g and a capital M. Now I wonder what he would think about society today or America today where we want to spell man with such a big M and God with such a small g. Sadly, there are many today who spell, who spell government with a capital G. And now the government wants to tell us even what to think. They want to tell us what to do with our personal faith. And I want to remind us all here this morning, government is not spelled with a capital G. God is who we serve. God is who we follow. And yes, I am not in awe of the government. I am not, the government is not transcendent to me. God is transcendent to me. God, amazingly, mercifully, incredibly, God, this transcendent God, steps into my life and into your life and into any situation you face. That's the point of this whole message. God's just simply saying, yes, I'm big. Yes, I'm great. Yes, you had to have an awe of me, but I want to do mighty works. I want to do things that you never have thought possible. I will say to you this morning, God can, hear me, listen to me online, listen, God can and God will do for you things that you never thought possible. Now, if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to say with Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. If you're willing to step back and say, Lord, I give it to you and I will praise you no matter what you choose. The problem is so many times we have expectations. If you'll let go of your expectations and just say, Lord, here's my deal. Here's my problem. Here's my situation. I don't expect anything but you just to work. 
I don't know what you're going to do, and whatever you choose to do, I will praise you. When we do that, when we see him high and lifted up, then God can step into that situation. Oh, that we would lift ourselves from the depths of human existence and see that God is transcendent. God in his incomprehensible in his essence, but yet I can know him. He condescended in the form of God the Son so that we could have a personal relationship with him. Jesus reaches out his nail-scarred hand and says, Behold your God. I'm going to finish this morning with a poem that I believe will touch your heart. Strangely, I sensed him everywhere, the God I ached to find. You could not find him anywhere. Above, before, behind, mystery amazing, love unknown. Now in human form he stands and calls with tender human tone, uplifting nail-torn hands. Yes, for in Jesus I see God most high has come from heaven above to answer all my aching cry with his redeeming love. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, my Savior, King divine. For in my Savior now I see, lo, God and heaven are mine. I stand in awe of God. Let's all stand together, if you would, please, everyone standing. Our heads are bowed. Our worship team is making their way to the platform. They're going to lead us in a few moments. As we stand with our heads bowed this morning, there are those in this morning who might be in pain, brokenhearted, those who perhaps have not been saved. There are those who might be here this morning, believers who might be living in sin. But today, I remind you that God and God alone can step into that. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.